You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another 2020. And you might be shocked by the fact that I'm doing the intro because I usurped the mic from Ben. And here we are back again for a second episode with the amazing Jason Hey, I just got my coffee. What the fuck? (laughs) Is she starting this shit without me? That was a poor lie because we all know you don't drink coffee. You make coffee nervous. We're letting women go first now? We're radical, aren't we? You know, it's it's 2020. It's a crazy year. Well, you know Things are happening. Can I say something about women going first? Please don't. Oh, no. No, no, Siobhan. We've just alienated is, is all our number one in the fucking world with the Queen's Gambit, which is on Netflix, which all of you guys in the entire world are probably watching. When you hear the violin, that's Siobhan. So you guys thought I was going to say something misogynistic or like down on women. I love women. In particular... I love the violin from the show I haven't heard yet because I haven't watched it because I don't have time. Yeah, and as if Siobhan needed any other accomplishments to just, you know, inflate her ego. <laughs> she, just, she just can't stop gloating about it. She didn't even know. Just so you guys know, I called her and I had said to her the other night when she told me she was on a Netflix show and then barely internalized. I'm like, watch, they'll push that and say it's the number one show or like number five show. I call her. I'm like, you know you're number one, right? And she's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm always number one, Ben. I just don't talk about it. Well, that's what Anne-Marie <laughs> He keeps telling me. Yes, but if you want to be number one, what you need to do is listen to this podcast with Jason Leckberg of Leckberg Enterprises uh, well, for more absolutely invaluable marketing knowledge. Well, here's, the, here's yeah. the thing is, though. The truth is, is you probably can't afford Jason, so you're welcome. Just listen to what he has to say, record it, and then don't go to school. Just listen to and him. And go back and listen to the, his first episode if there, you, you want some more. I mean, there's always more content to be found. What are you going to do? Fucking watch... It too before it. Like what's wrong? Exactly. With, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Go back and watch the front. Like you can't jump in three quarters of through like the usual suspect. Like how are you gonna fucking figure out who Kaiser Sose is? <laughs> so here you have it, part two with the illustrious Jason Lackberg. Just like usual, we're waiting because time isn't of the essence when you're Siobhan Cronin and there's an <laughs> owl flying by or maybe God. or maybe maybe someone from the star set, you know, alliance <laughs> said, I need a picture with that dreamy looking hunk over there. You know, uh, so before I introduce anybody but myself, Benny Goodman, uh, I'll introduce my friend here, Siobhan Cronin from star set owl lover. Hangs out at apiaries, lives in Miami just to sit by the water and watch birds. Siobhan Cronin. And then, and, then, and then over there is uh, Corey Peza. He, um, he's the guy that talks to Jason Leckberg and gets things done because I certainly don't. And then down wherever Corey decides to put him in the mix is the illustrious, the incredible, the all-knowing Jason Leckberg. He is our bridge to the singularity. He is your chance. He is your chance as a band of getting out of your mom's basement and possibly getting onto the Spotify. Um, if you would like to be the Spotify, if, 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 if you want to be in like space, Google. just like Starset, you know what I mean. He can also get you on space, like a MySpace, maybe. You sure. Know, so, um, sure. Without, technology without further ado, Jason, can you tell you know all the 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 dullards out there, as Jason Costa agrees with me, is a great word. All the the plebeian guitar players, what are we doing wrong? Guitar players, specifically. Specifically, <laughs> guitar players. <laughs> all right, so I don't have to Other be a part of this. Off stage, <laughs> fucking fast, because we've already established that. And if you guys didn't watch the previous podcast, one, get the fuck on it, and two. Get the fuck off the Get stage. Off. Establish. That's not just guitar players. That's Last everyone in the band. That's my new saying in everyday life. Get the yeah. fuck off we need, the stage. That needs to be another t-shirt yeah. idea. We need to keep a going list of 2020 t-shirts. Get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Scott so will good. pay for that. That will right, so be a thing. Do it. Let's do it. No, what I would tell guitar so, players. Right? Well, hold on. Let's ask a, a oh, real-time yeah. question. Do you think that if we actually had a 2020 shirt that just says 2020D, okay. and then the back it says, get the oh fuck gosh. off the stage with, like, you know, the exclamation points, whatever, like, uh, uh, would that, would that sell? It. You'd buy, buy it. it. You really would I buy it. I would wear that. Yeah, yeah. 
Jason sends me to the Steel Panther site to be like, do you want a website like this? And then I spend $150. That's how good he is at marketing. So yes, yes, we want a website just like that then. <laughs> I mean, here's the good, well, you got one. Uh, the, the good news is that everything that we make is print on demand. So we can, all we need is the art. We don't even have to spend any money yeah. and we can put up the get the fuck off the stage shirt. Well, but for that amount of money and for how little we're doing, like can buy, so in Lost Symphony, which is our sponsor, Lost Symphony, <laughs> lostsymphony.com, chapter uh. one, chapter two is coming out. We're about to announce <laughs> it. By the time you hear this, it's probably already out because we're like, we got a lot in the canon. So who knows when you're seeing this bullshit where you are, but thank you for being here. Um, yes. But, but we're here with Jason because we just need to figure out like, what can we do during these times right now for people to pay attention to us amongst all the fucking noise? Do you realize you just asked him a question that you then didn't let him answer yeah, and now no, asked him another question? I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you know anyway, what answer whichever one you want. You know what guitar players can do? They cannot yes. hijack questions. <laughs> yes. See, I gave him my own Carl Reiner to my Mel Brooks. <laughs> Um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll dive in. The second one is the tougher one. The first one's way easier to answer, but the second one, uh, man, you know, the internet has been a amazing democratizing force and it has allowed everybody to have a voice, which is fantastic. But it also means that everybody you know that has a means, voice. Siobhan? Yes. I agree with the second part. <laughs> no, I was just, I everyone stopped. has a voice, but Jason now yeah. I am not a marketing person. I don't claim to be. But shouldn't you play to your audience? Because democratize that's like po polysyllabic. Why are you not playing to the audience? Do you not I'm know sorry. who listens to this? Other than my mom was valedictorian. I, I do because I know who's playing on the record and they're a bunch of smart people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Saved it. Saved it. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean look, if you're uh, if you if you're buying the Lost Symphony album, you are definitely a smart person, and I'm the gonna Lost bet Symphony. you know multiple five syllable words. <laughs> <laughs> wicked smart. Uh, you're wicked smart. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the biggest problem is that once everybody has a voice, everybody has a voice, and mm -hmm. then you're now trying to figure out how to cut through the white noise. You know, when we were, when Dan Beck, tying it back around, when Dan Beck was marketing, uh, you know, it was you get it For on those radio, that didn't you get listen, it on TV. They are up to speed. Dan Beck is a music uh, fucking legend. I've called what? him the Oracle. I've referred to him as the Brontosaurus, not in a derogatory <laughs> way, but because he's right. from another time, another place before the music industry exploded. He can understand the metaphor. He's probably yeah. going, all right, Ben, it's crude, but I get it. Like, we'll let it pass. But Jason right. is now the transcendent man that has walked past the Brontosaurus, taken the Oracle-like knowledge that he's passed on to him, and then formed Captain Planet in the form of Lechberg Enterprises, which is why we're speaking to him today, because, again, I don't know what to do, and where Dan Beck would normally know what to what do, if you, what it's if not you listen, the 80s. <laughs> you know, uh, to be fair, I would say that if that is the analogy that we're going with, I <laughs> absolutely keep the brontosaurus very very close and i and i welcome the knowledge and the wisdom that it brings me and and i and i look forward to being able to learn from the brontosaurus what the next <laughs> flaming meteor looks like so that i can i can avoid it that's a good one yeah great <laughs> so i mean i think that you know well, thank the, god the, that brontosaurus in particular survived yeah. the flaming meteor right. yes right I mean, you know, look, it's it's tough to cut through the noise. I think, you know, touching on something that we kind of talked about in the last cast, you know, the one of the biggest things is to have a clear a, a clear marketing and a clear brand and a clear vision. When I, you know, again, touching on what we talk about, when I saw that picture of Starset, I knew exactly what Starset was. And so if you've got one second to have someone on social media mm -hmm. who's scrolling see something, mm -hmm. you need them to immediately understand. That's mm -hmm. the fastest way to cut through the noise. Uh, and then I think it's important to also speak to your audience, you know, because you want imagery and you want video and you want things like that, that speak to the people that you want to listen to you. If you, you know, I famously uh, worked with a band who I, again, I won't name, uh, who were a very, very heavy band. And at a certain point in their career decided to all put on cowboy hats. And wow. one of them had worn cowboy hats his whole career. So that was just kind of part of who he was from the South. It's totally acceptable. Uh, and, and it's totally acceptable to wear a cowboy hat in general. I mean, there's a lot of people in heavy music that wear cowboy hats and that's kind of a, you know, 
that brand Warnstar from Chicago, like that's half of what they sell or like crumpled up cowboy hats. So that's kind of like, you know, that's fine. But the problem was the audience said, what happened? What, who is who am I talking to now? You know, right. and so when the brand message sometimes gets confused like that, I mean, we did a lot of work to try and like help people understand that. But now we have a brand message that doesn't necessarily match what it is. And and I even suffered from that in my last band. I you know my last band was called I Kill Ya with an A at the end, and it was all one word. And I heard from several people later on like, oh well, I never listened to your band. I thought you were a new metal band because it was misspelled. And there was a yeah in it, right? You know, and it's like, oh, well, I messed it up, you know, like, so things like that are very important when you're, when you're thinking about that, how cutting through the, to cut through the clutter, you've got to be immediately, people got to get it immediately. So basically what I've learned from this is that Brock shouldn't have a face. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Well, because he's he's got a helmet. So in the most iconic image of Star Set that Jason now knows you guys, all you're telling mm-hmm. Dustin and you're referring, uh, reaffirming through operant conditioning is that the people should be faceless because it really is just about the big collective, which is Dustin's I, I have, vision. But if I remember that image correctly, like the helmets they're wearing are like fully glass. So you uh-huh. can still see them. Yeah. You can see them. They're just You in can. Helmets. It's a little less clear. Well, can it's you? not as clear yeah. as Dustin out of the mask, but the their dreamy, faces which, aren't. Which one's the dreamy one, Siobhan? Brock's always the dreamy one. <laughs> Can you tell which one is him? <laughs> Depends on your taste. I'm yeah. Everyone might pick a different you, If you're going through Facebook oh, yeah. really quickly, you can go, that's Brock. Yeah, I mean, no, he's right. They're not, they're not totally um, hidden. You can, oh, you can nice. see, so I mean, it's a little ghost. bit cloudy, but that's yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. That's not ghost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So we've kind of established your your main pet peeves as far as the marketing goes, and also like the uh, you know the ground floor of, of coming up with that image and branding. But this industry is kind of ever evolving, mm-hmm. and what do you do, and what can mm-hmm. people do to stay on the bleeding edge of that? Is it is there is there a resource that you look to, or is it just and a whole? Can we reiterate what bleeding edge means? Because I really like this term because I actually had written it down yeah. because it's actually mm-hmm. part of your bio, and it's like I don't even know what bleeding edge means. I mean, it sounds metal. So like I mean, I, 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 I like, did we need this guy because he said he's on the bleeding edge, and I feel like bleeding <laughs> edge sounds like something that death would do, and Schultner is the fucking man. Right. So the, so he's the got cutting tats, edge. I trust him. so the cutting edge refers generally to like the sharpest point of the knife the bleeding edge would actually be the action that the knife is making that where it's actually cutting so you're (sighs) you're technically not ahead of the knife but you're actualizing the cutting edge so you're you're actually making use out of it the cutting you are the you're like you're like a a verb you're cutting you're actually the one doing the cutting but you're the cutting Right, because it's one thing to understand and know what is happening or have an idea of what's happening. It's another thing to do it. So right. I, I look at the it's bleeding like edges, like getting twenty twenty, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I think of as, as the bleeding edge. Uh, and as far as what people can do to stay on the bleeding edge, it's education. You know, I mean, I use a uh, there's a this site I use is called Feedly, and it basically just lets you pull in all these different <laughs> blogs. And it gives you just headlines of everything that's in the blogs. And oh, wow. every day at, at lunch, I just sit in front of my computer and eat lunch. And I have a tab that's all the metal sites. And then I have a tab that's all cryptocurrency because I'm a cryptocurrency nut. And then I have a tab that's all uh, tech. So I've got TechCrunch and Mashable and like so all those. I said and this I you know all the trends right away. Yeah, I, I, go ahead. I think he really is the lawnmower man. Like, I bet you he sits in front of that and he's just like, I know French now. <laughs> it's like the Matrix. Like, I, You're really dad, great at absorbing well, my, information my, really my dad, fast. My dad is crazy, right? But he sits in front of like 18 computer screens and he can somehow absorb <laughs> 73 numbers because like, he's an option trader. So if you know anything about oh options, God. which I certainly oh, yeah. don't know, but yeah, like it's like crazy. doing logarithms upon logarithms slash, you know, like the bubonic plague mixed with like, you know, pneumonia, ultra microscopic, so-called volcanic coniosis. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I, I don't know. I have no fucking idea. So like whatever you're talking about, like I just have total respect for you, Jason, because like it makes no sense to me and you what i said to to Corey and to siobhan when i said you know i wanted you on was just like i want you to demystify like what's really happening because i feel like this is the wizard of oz and you having your own band and you doing like so 
when I said you're the hardest working guy in the industry, it's because <laughs> first off, you work with some of the biggest people, which I've waited for you to name drop, but like whatever, like people can go online and I won't blow up your spot. But he's worked with some like super fucking awesome bands, some of which may be on my wall. Um, you know what I mean? But you also, <laughs> uh, you know, do the clubs in New York and you have a few hundred people at your shows and you are in the trenches of war, dude. And just like you said, you painted houses, you're covered in tattoos. You are the real deal. And like you risked total, you know, not making it. You know what I mean? Like wasting all that money for three months to to find out, like, is this your path? And you're doing it. But like when you're a guitar player, you sit there in a room, you go, okay, I just wrote what I think to be the next vulgar display of power. What do I do now, man? Yeah. It's it's get it in front of people in every possible way that you can. That's that's the most important thing. I mean, people have to hear it. And, you know, there's a marketing adage that I love, which is that uh, the average person needs to be, interact with your brand seven times before they take action. And that's mm -hmm. obviously the the average. So some people, it takes more. So mm -hmm. if you think of that as a band, your band is a brand, right? Do you so know why they say seven, by the way? Why is that? Because why? that's the original number, The why you have seven numbers in a phone. Uh, a phone number originally is because that's what the human brain can average, like remember seven numbers consecutively. So that's why that must be because it's the people can absorb <laughs> yeah. seven things. Technically they say you should only study three things at once, but seven separate things in succession, a human brain can absorb on average, unless you're Jason Lechberg and you're watching 75 screens <laughs> with bit, Bitcoin over here and the lamb of God over there playing fucking like Frank Zappa in the back just to be cultured. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the point I mean, is it could I, be more though. I mean, some people might need more than that. Yeah, you're right. When I was a kid, somebody told me one time that, that the human mind could think of, it was somewhere around there, like six or seven things at the same time. And I remember sitting in high school in a class that I hated, trying to have seven <laughs> songs going at the same time in my brain, oh you my know, God. and like it, it didn't. I yeah, can you tell know. you what happens every single time I try to do that. Boobs. Who's that? <laughs> Boobs. That's what happens. I'm like, I'm trying to think of, of like, like, you know, like, what should I do next? And it's just like boobs. And that's why oh I haven't done, that's why I don't have a PhD. That's why Siobhan has two master's degrees. Like, she thinks she's actually that much better than me. Well, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if I wasn't thinking about boobs, I'm pretty sure that I would have two master's degrees by now. Just saying. Maybe. You know, there's, Maybe. there's, there may be some validity to that. That's an interesting <laughs> argument. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to find out. Because, I mean, I think right. boobs are spectacular. I mean, just as a job. But also, master's degrees haven't necessarily made me more intelligent. So <laughs> great don't, don't worry law. too much. <laughs> Speaking of all these all these things you have going on between the band and, and Lechberg Enterprise and um, and just, I hope, having some kind of social life at some point, like, how do you uh, handle time management and without going crazy? You know, I'm, I'm actually very bad with time management. Well, no, I, let me say this. I, I feel like I manage my time well, but... To someone else who's very interested in things like, uh, you know, I don't know, like sitting on a lawn, uh, you know, I'm bad with time management because I, I just don't like I. He's I get stressed out about about his uh, having free time, Corey. You should relate to him on this because oh, yeah. no, we talk, talk about, about this like every episode. Yeah. Yeah. Corey yeah. hates free time because it stresses him out. I feel like you were saying on the previous no, no, podcast. free time, not free time. I wish I had free time. It's it, I, relaxing is Relaxation. the most stressful thing I can do. The only yeah. way I can actually relax is I have to leave the country and be in a place where my where I know that it will cost me so much money to use my cell phone mm -hmm. that I actively just go, you know what, it's not responsible to use my cell phone because it'll be too expensive. So I need to put it down. That's the only way I can relax. I'm, I'll be sitting on my couch and you know, I sit there for more than an hour, like on the weekends, and I start freaking out. And I'm like, yeah, what do I do? He's like, you know, yeah. like, it's like when you're chilling, like smoking your joint, like thinking you're everything's fine. Jason's like, I'm freaking out. That's what he's doing. That's why I, I he's like the creative, creative energy. He's you know, you always have to be making. But that's yeah. what I respect about him so much because, like, literally, we Corey and I spent all this time, um, and Siobhan, you as well, Brian, all the people that were on this record, we spent so much time, and we never thought, but how are we gonna do anything with this? And when Jason <laughs> came in, it was just like, well, what's your plan? We're like. <laughs> I didn't think anyone was going to listen to it. <laughs> I was like, I thought this was just, you know, to play nerdy music. Like know? the first thing he said, it was like, where's the metadata or something like that. I'm like, metadata? Metallica? I love Metallica. Like I do. the Black Album is still a great record. 
Yeah, it was a good record. Oh my god! It was. It took me. It took me years to appreciate it, but it was a good record. <laughs> <laughs> One of those guys. No, but uh, no, I, I am actually. actually Oh, yeah. go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead, Corey. Go, 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 continue no, on we that. want to hear about your Metallica. I we want my Metallica you story. to talk. I'll, t- I'll tell you my Metallica <laughs> story. So uh, I was, so my, my father was a pastor. So I would went to private school and didn't get exposed to secular music until much later. Uh, and I remember I saw the Inner Sandman music video premiere on MTV at my buddy's house. And it melted my freaking brain. And I was like, this is the heaviest thing that has ever existed. This is the <laughs> coolest thing ever. And my buddy, I swear to God, this happened. He said, I don't know. It's a little bit lighter than their early stuff. And I bet him $10 that it was not possible to be heavier than what I had just experienced. And he took me upstairs to his bedroom and played one. And I was like, <laughs> like that was like changed my that was one of the moments of my life it completely changed the trajectory of my life you know what's that's really crazy. metal wow. about that time for metallica that's first off an awesome great story and i have a metallica poster in the back where i have a see Jim henson uh metallica thing <laughs> but you know what's really metal about uh about that time not shortly after the premiere of that i don't know if you remember this but there was a metallica contest where they would come to you and they were going to play and shortly before that um kirk hammett had emergency surgery because his appendix burst. And okay. he shows up to the guy's house at MTV with his appendix in formaldehyde and actually not only played Metallica, but gave him like the winner of this contest on MTV, his appendix. I said, that's fucking metal. I wasn't very, I, I was I, 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 like, I don't know what this is, but this is fucking craziness. Like, no, that's no a thanks. true story. Can you just play a song, please? Well, yeah, I know. Can you imagine that now? Like, Kirk Hammett just gives his appendix. It's probably on eBay right now. We're just driving the price up. That's amazing. That's a true I had, story. I've never, I never, I never heard story. that story. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> he gave I it want away somebody on that to, TV. I want Fuck somebody it. to do it. I'm a huge documentary guy, so I want somebody to do a documentary about that guy and where the appendix is. <laughs> so that's what I want to know. I want to. I want to know that. I want to know that how how that guy weathered the Hold late nineties. Hold on, 90s I'm with that was also Marcy's playground. <laughs> oh, wrong band. Wrong band. No, I'm kidding. It was Metallica. But you know, like, how fascinating would that be to be like, okay, you're the guy that's got Kirk Hammett's appendix. You are now clearly like the biggest Metallica fan on the planet. You had this crazy experience <laughs> happen to you, right? And then they put out Load, and then they put out Reload, and then Saint Anger comes out, and like. How, what happens to you? Like, I want to know that guy's story. I want to know how he dealt with the late nineties Metallica and where he is now. And Kip like, Winger will tell you himself. We're going to have him on the show. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, are you seriously going to have Kip Winger? On? No, I'm saying oh if that God. was Kip Winger that you're talking about. Oh, well, if you're going to have Kip love, Winger. I would love to have Kip Winger. Oh my God. Like, so everyone shits on Winger. We were talking about bands that are amazing. Like, unfairly <laughs> shit on like Nickelback, who's not a bad band at all. Winger, because of Beavis and Butthead in particular, which is where I saw one for the first time and shit my pants, like everybody that should ever have heard one. Like, because that was actually my first experience. It was during the Metallica Enter Sandman time, but that was with Beavis and Butthead. I remember staying up at my friend's house. My parents didn't let me watch Beavis and Butthead because they thought I was infantile. <laughs> And it certainly is, and that's why it's fucking genius. And they sat in front of the TV, and they're like, this is awesome. That's fucking cool. And it is, because when they go into the double bass thing, like, that changed my life. Like, I can only imagine the story where you say you heard Enter Sandman, and you're like, how do you get better than this? And they walk upstairs, you're like, oh, really? And then you're... And like literally, here's the thing about Metallica: you can literally just go and fifty thousand people in in Brazil will do the same thing with you. Well, um, that's because wow. the cadence with which we did that with our mouths is pretty close to how Lars plays the double bass. <laughs> yeah. So it Equally actually sounds like Metallica. <laughs> I had to get a shot in there. Sorry. Yeah. To- <laughs> it's okay. I saw them live a couple of years ago and I, I was like, all right, the image that, you know, that I have is, has been ruined. So I'm just going to go back and listen to my records. And, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, we, well, we actually, could do a no. whole, we could do a whole cast about Metallica. But here's yeah, the thing be- though. It doesn't it make James Hetfield better to you because the fact that he could still play and make it look like he's playing perfectly in time with Lars literally just, sand fucking him just literally you know, like curb stomping the rhythm in the middle of the song he's like harvester of sorrow fuck it we're gonna skip a whole section and james right hand it never starts fucking you playing. know that's the way i felt 
But see, I have this, again, I could spend an entire hour talking just about this. I have a crazy <laughs> relationship with Metallica and my history with Metallica goes really deep. But what? I, so really? I, what? crazy stories with me and Metallica. So, but having nothing to well, do with we them. Have an they're hour. Not, okay, they're, not aware, they're not aware of this at all. This is okay. like my own insanity shit. But so. <laughs> the free so ends I, of sanity, according to Jason Lechberg. Exactly. Uh, so basically, you know, seeing that forever, I was like, oh, James is the man. He's got the right hand. And he was, he was, the, I was like, that's the, the saving grace. I love James. James is my guy. I didn't watch some kind of monster when it came out because I, at that time was very, very angry at Metallica, like really angry at Metallica. And actually some of the first press that I ever got was related to how angry I was at Metallica. So I, I didn't watch it. I waited 15 years before I watched some kind of monster. And in that time I had a good chunk of my music career. And so I literally just a couple years ago, I went back and watched some kind of monster for the first time. And I'm really glad I waited because what I understand about the way the music industry works. Absolutely. I know I saw that movie differently than anyone who doesn't understand the back inside, but I walked away from that going Lars is my dude. You know, Lars is the only sane guy in that band. You know, James just taking off for a year and a half and being like, oh, I'm just I'm just not going to come to practice or call you and holding the band hostage. Like, holy shit, I would have lost my mind. If I was Lars, I would have hunted him down and found him. And like, yeah. So anyways, I used to like James, but Lars is my dude now. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then you go and see Megadeth <laughs> and realize that they actually play in time and that Dave Mustaine actually can play I'm going to say it, I think, equally, if not better than Kirk Hammett. Well, I mean, you know what? It. I think what helps is that That's when you make a career. Thing. It's like finding out your dad isn't the smartest person in the world. You all, like back in the day, if you asked me when I was 16, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica, you're fucking stupid otherwise. Metallica for Master of Puppets. Metallica for Ride the Lightning. Metallica for one. Metallica for the fact that they chose to not put a bass player on it and it still fucking kicks ass. For Blackened, for the Freight Ends of Sanity, for every reason. And now, as an adult... I realized I love Megadeth. And I'll say this for I'll say this for David Mustaine. Superior. He he sounds shockingly similar to how he sounded back in the day, primarily because he started his career sounding like a crotchety old man. So once he became a crotchety old man, he just sounds the same. Right. So that's that's what that's what I'll give Dave Mustaine. Listen, man, I've met Dave Mustaine like ten times, and like one time he was cool. And like my friend, um, who who knows Miss, you know Ernie and, and yeah, Alex. Yeah. So they're like, oh yeah, he's so nice. And I'm like, you guys are rich. Of course he's nice to you. Like, and I I don't mean to be like bougie or elitist, but like. You know, he said, you know, your Rolls Royce is the most metal car ever. Yeah, your all blacked out million dollar Rolls Royce is fucking metal. That said, when I went with Ernie Bach and his son to go meet Dave Mustaine backstage at the Jimi Hendrix thing, like Johnny Lang walks in. Hey, man, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. Like Buddy Cox, you know, who played with Hendrix walks in. Like Dave Mustaine goes and talks to Ernie. He's like six foot 17 and Ernie's like, seven foot 13 and they're talking face to face and I'm staying there for so long that finally Dave Mustaine looks at me and goes, why are you standing here? Oh my God. And I said, well, I'm with them. He goes, Oh, that would have been weird. And I said, Hey man, will you sign this? And he goes, are you trying to get everyone's autograph? I'm like, yeah, he's like, good for you. I'm like, how do you think this guy's nice? And then he goes and smokes a bunch of weed and his fucking bus comes back a little blasted and he sees that I've like got Kenny Arnoff's signature, who's fucking awesome. And he's like, I see you're doing well on that. <laughs> That's and kind I'm of like, a yeah. good story. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm like, I am. He's like, good for you. And then he like kind of looked like Ernest for a moment. Like, I'm now going to go on stage and play <laughs> Jimi Hendrix because I'm Dave Mustaine and just kind of like, <laughs> he was, he was a, always a man of the people, you know, when, in, in, I'm serious in 2000 and probably one or two, I was in a band uh, and me and the guitar player stood outside behind the Megadeth show and waited for him to walk out to his bus at like three in the morning. And we gave him our press kit 
And my guitar player also at the time said, hey, you're my dad, which was really funny. That's how he introduced himself. He was like, oh, hey, Dave saying you're my dad. And Dave goes, how old are you? And, he, and my, bu- my buddy tells him and Dave goes, uh, not possible. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, here's my, here's our press kit. If you want to check out our band. And he actually reviewed my band on Megadeth.com. He oh, like wow. listened to it and wrote a review of the band. He's like, he's like, cool. he's like they made a joke. So I'm going to yeah. take the joke further, and put <laughs> well, it on my website. You you talked about before uh, how to kind of step above the noise, and that's what a great method to like just set yourself apart is just shock and awe. <laughs> you know, I'm sure yeah. a million people have ran up to him. Hey, will you listen to my CD? You know, and uh, I actually I'm going to tell you the opportune Dave Mustaine story because the first time I met Dave Mustaine was when they were about to shoot the video for Crush Him. My uh, my buddy had done the show Loco Bazooka and he was working for uh, WAF um, and did their shows and he he got Megadeth and Power Man Five Thousand and whatever and he got me a pass and he said I want you to take care of Megadeth but don't ask for their autographs people who ask for autographs are lame you're better than that and like I asked for <laughs> autographs like look at me look like so I I walked in the back. And I see Megadeth, and I actually—it's funny because they actually had this tour manager, Steve Wood, at the time, who's now my friend, who I know now. But he was there; he was their tour manager at the time, and he remembers this story because I was so obnoxious. No. I walked in the back, and you had Dave Mustaine and Marty Friedman, and Jimmy DeGrasso was the drummer du jour uh, at the moment, yeah. and and David Elveson, and they were practicing Crush Him. And I walked back like, "Hey guys." I'm oh the guy God. that's supposed to take care of you. And Dave Mustaine just looks at Steve Wood and he goes, out. Just get <laughs> fucking out. <laughs> and like, like, I'm like 16. And I'm like, and I was like so upset. And like later he comes up to me. He's like, I didn't, I didn't mean to yell at you, kid. And meanwhile, there's another kid who's wearing a Metallica shirt inside out because like someone told him not to wear it. I heard them say he's like 16 and he goes, I know what that is. As he comes back up to me, I swear to God, this is totally true. And he's like, do you want to come down and play my new guitar? Yes, Mr. Mustaine. I'll even sign your pass for you. Really? And I go over and he like has me play his guitar for like two minutes and then he's like, that's enough. Out. Oh my. Out. And then they shot the crushing video. And Steve Wood, who now works with Paul Geary, you know Steve yeah. Wood. You know I know Steve, Steve Wood, Wood well. Um, yeah. Was like, I remember that in his accent. He's like, I, rem- I remember that. That was you? I'm like, nothing's changed. <laughs> well, no, no, literally Dave nothing's changed. Nothing, nothing has changed. I was going to say, yeah, especially for you because I, you still oh run backstage God. and people are just like, what the hell's going on here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's actually how Jason met me because we were backstage at Steel Panther. And I remember because. Scott was like, do you know Jason? I'm like, I'm not sure. And then when I saw, when I met him again at Steel Panther, I'm like, I'm like remembering, I was up and I, w- I was during the obnoxious time when they're trying to rile the band up to go on stage and they're supposed to get people back there. But I'm like, I'm special. I'm special. <laughs> I'm friends with the band. They like me. And Jason was the guy that was like, dude, you're not special and you should get the fuck out of here. And like, I was like, but, but it's me. And he's like, I don't know who the fuck you, out. And I remember... That like Scott's like, how do you know this guy? I'm like, he he he, 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 he understood my game and totally like <laughs> amogged me. I don't even remember that. <laughs> yeah, I just, you're, you're just used to doing it to people. You break everyone's hearts and you forget about it. But I remember. Yeah, that's that would be me. Yes. Oh my gosh. No, I well, remember not, talking not, to you afterwards. Oh, no, go ahead. No, Sorry. that okay, was the second show. This was a previous show at the House of Blues in Boston. We met oh. in Connecticut. So I knew who you were from the PTSD. And you just <laughs> knew who I was from Scott. So you're like, oh. So you were like pleasantly passive aggressive. Whereas like, I was like, I don't know why, but I feel like this guy hates me for some reason. And I vaguely oh remember you yelling at me, but then I didn't put two and two to like, I think you yelled at me on the phone for doing something stupid as guitar players always do. And I was like, oh, I remember that guy. He he told me to get out of the backstage area because I was being obnoxious. Well, anyway, to reel it back in, I just, I was thinking, so Jason, you, you know, not to change the subject totally, but you obviously have a lot of insight, a lot of insight on the things that people should be doing. And I'm just curious, do you have any examples of moments or stories that were like a learning process for you where you like kind of figured out like, what's the better way of doing something? Because you, I feel like you had to have learned some of this through experience, you know, it's not like you go to school for these things necessarily. 
Yeah, I learned a lot of things in practice, <laughs> and, I, and I've, I've made my very large fair share of mistakes. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, I mean, I've, you know, I've, it's tough again, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, Benny, that I'm not name dropping as much as you would like, but, uh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the largest, uh, artists that I, that I ever worked with at Epic, uh, you know, kind of was my demise at Epic because, um, under, again, understanding lanes, it's one of the biggest things I had to learn was what lane I, I needed to be in. And, uh, I didn't understand what game was being played. And I think I was trying to be, uh, I was trying to be everybody's friend. And I was trying to work, oh, we're all going to work together and we're doing things great. And, and that's not the game that everybody else was playing. You know what my you grandfather what? used to say, Jason? What's that? The foreman eats alone. That's a, that's a good saying. That's a good saying. Yeah. At that time, I was, you know, I was trying to be the, the middleman and the peacekeeper and make everybody work together. You know? mm-hmm. And I think I got, I got a little too friendly with management for the artists. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, and I was trying to kind of like, well, we can all do this. And what I didn't understand at the time was that management's goal was get as much money and as much marketing as I possibly can out of this label, because they're trying to screw us anyway. And the label's uh-huh. intention was spend as little as possible and get this record off the, off our plate. Uh, and those two things obviously don't go together well. Uh, and this artist was up for a, uh, a Walmart promotion sponsored by dove the women's uh, or ladies i guess i should say like you know feminine hygiene products uh this was a metal artist Judge. Surpri- surprisingly dove didn't didn't feel that, that they were a good dove fit. soap is actually divine but a sponsor because i actually love the, how it makes my skin feel so yeah I, I mean it's, it's very yeah, nice if you so, still have that connection let them know lost right. symphony yeah. yeah unfortunately you know they didn't feel that that this artist was a good fit for their program uh, and when, uh, when I had to deliver the news, King the manager, the manager forwarded that to the chairman of, uh, Epic and Columbia in North America and nice. said, uh, why is your company not delivering for my artist? And that email was obviously forwarded directly to my boss. And my boss was like, what the hell is your problem? And I was like, I don't know. I think I'm, I, I thought I was telling the truth. It didn't like, it just didn't work out. And basically, you know, everything was like, you're not playing the game. It, they, it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. that anyone was telling me to lie. They weren't telling me not to lie, but they were basically mm-hmm. saying like, you're too much in the middle and you don't understand what the people's objectives are and what they're after. And I, I thought mm-hmm. we were all just one big happy metal family. So we're is trying it like to when make Jack Nicholson yeah. throws down, he's like, I'll piss in your dead skull soldier. I mean, that was kind of what my boss said. Yeah, <laughs> I had a, well, I had a meeting. Yeah. I had a meeting with the with the uh, the GM of the label right after that, and I said to him, I said, "Look, you know, our managers understand the situation that the record industry is in right now. We can go to them and say we can all work together, and we can we have these budgets, and let's make them work together." And he looked at me and he goes, "I think you're too idealistic to work for Epic Records." And, <gasps> wow. and I said, "Oh, I think you're right." That explains yeah. so wow, much. That's, is, that's heavy. Is, how, how long after that did you found your own company? Was that- uh, I, at that time, I was already kind of thinking about it. I wanted to. I had kind of already had the idea because uh, when I was at Epic was when um, Radiohead put out In Rainbows and Nine Inch Nails put out, uh, God, I don't remember the name, they put out a record at that same time and both of them did it without a label and basically just posted them on their MySpace pages. Mm-hmm. And I watched that and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But they sold like a fraction of the records and nobody knew that because they were those out. those were both of those bands' best records, clearly. Well, I mean, I mean whether- In Rainbows is literally what I used to do to, when I painted houses. And then, you know, like, I mean, think, think about it, like that Nine Inch Nails. Like, I love Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> but there was like five records, bless you, that he left on jump drives in like, you know, some like discotheque in like Europe or whatever at that time. And the reason he did that is because they suck. I mean, regardless of whether or not they sucked, what it said to me was artists know how to make records. Artists don't understand how to do everything else that goes along with it, but there's a business here. This is where Mm -hmm. the future is going. Artists owning their rights, owning their IP and releasing it on their own, taking full control of their careers, but they're going to need somebody to help facilitate that. So that spurred me to go, this is the business I need to make. Uh, And so I Mm -hmm. started putting that plan together at that time. Um, But it took me, 
when everything kind of went down at Epic, uh, I, I realized at that point, I didn't feel like I knew enough. I didn't feel like I was ready to do that. Uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, and here, Benny, I'll, I'll name drop a little bit for you. At that time, <laughs> I was uh, product manager for Hell Yeah and, uh, and Mudvayne. And uh, Hell Yeah had just signed with Alan Kovac for management. And, uh, and Chad Gray heard that I was getting blown out. I kind of was like, this is the end for me. I know it's coming. And Chad picked up the phone and called Alan Kovac and said, I need you to take lunch with my, with my guy. And, uh, and so I went and had lunch with Alan Kovac and left. And he offered me a job that afternoon. And nice. uh, I went to work for 11.7 and, and spent a couple of years at 11.7 building their digital department and being a product manager there. And that kind of gave me the experience on the indie side also to get to a place where I felt like I'm ready to do this. Uh, so it was a couple more years. That's interesting. I was going to ask, like, what, like, how do you know, like, for anyone that's thinking about going out on their own, if it, whether it's a music or any other sort of business, like, how do you know when you're ready? Because I feel like I you could also end up never feeling ready. You know yeah, what I mean? I, like, what, how, like, what, what made you know? You know, I don't think that I had kind of set a goal for myself. So I had said I wanted to the beginning of 2014, after the, the holidays in 2013, I wanted to resign and launch my business. That was kind of like my goal. Uh, and, and I was working towards that. And I, you know, arguably had a couple of things not happened. I don't know if I would have made that goal. I definitely wanted to. And I was I really was passionate about it. I would like to think that I would have. But about uh, September of 2013, I got a call from a friend of mine who was running digital for Paul Geary, uh, who we've talked about a few times. And she said, Hey, do you know anybody who would want to be an independent product manager for Steel Panther? And I said, <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know, and so I, uh, I, I went was to LA fun? to, yeah, it, was, it still is fun. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I, I went to LA to do an escape the fate video shoot and, uh, and just took an afternoon and went to Paul Geary's office and sat down and said, this is what I do. What, this is what I'm going to do. And what's that guy like? Is he Paul, peach? Paul is <laughs> Paul's fun. I, I like working with Paul. Paul was really fascinating for me because the, one of the first bands that I discovered prior to Metallica, when I discovered like rock and roll was Bon Jovi. And one of the first tours I ever saw was Bon Jovi and extreme. And I, re I worked it out. It was like in 2013, it was 2013. 2013, I was in his office 20 years from the day that I had seen him open for Bon Jovi. And that wow. was like, that That's was like crazy. this cool, like, whoa. That's so you weird know. that you say that because I, like, I have a very similar story because I actually had met him when he was signing Reveille. Um, and like way when he first started and um, I was backstage uh, one year at OzFest 99. I still have the guitar over there. And he was man. He had just started signing Godsmack, just signed Godsmack, or like worked was working with Godsmack. And I asked him if he would sign my guitar, and he pushes Sully at me, and I, and I said, "No, aren't you Paul Geary?" And he goes, "How old are you, kid?" <laughs> and even to this day, he's like, "Oh, that sounds like me." And I'm like, "I'm like," and I had to prove to him like, "I love extreme." I'm like, "No, I love extreme, man. Like you're yeah. you're awesome." And I still have actually a signed guitar from Paul Geary, and he's like the nicest guy in the entire world. And uh, there's a reason why he's like management Jedi is because he's yeah. like the thing I like about Paul is that it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl, he makes you feel like you're the only person in the world. He talks to you and he just makes you feel so good. It's like, he's like, Ben, are, you're looking healthy. Like, are your teeth whiter? Like your, your band's doing good, huh? Like just everything he says, it's just like, Oh, I don't know if he means it or not, but it just sounds and feels so good. Sounds but then nice. you think he doesn't mean it. But he does. And then, like, even 30 years later, he's got, like, guys about like, oh, Paul's never fucked me over. He's great. Because he, like, every, he's, like, the nice guy for everybody. So it was mm -hmm. when we called Paul, because he is also a fellow oracle that'll go, hey, buddy, that's not going to work, dude. Like, uh, I want to do that. Uh, we're like, well, Paul, we don't know anybody that knows how to do any of this stuff other than you. And he's like, well, you can't afford me. I'm like, well, clearly. <laughs> so then he's like, well, but is there anyone else? Like, well, and then immediately he's like, I have a guy. <laughs> and then there's Jason. So, like, you clearly, whether it's Chad Gray or Paul Geary, let me tell you, Paul doesn't recommend people easily. He doesn't even choose a coffee. Like, he's he's very particular. And, and he mm -hmm. was just like, no, I have a guy. There's no question he's the right guy for you. Like, when he talked to Scott, who's our sponsor, 
Um, he was like, you got, you got to hire Jason. He will help all your problems. Stop calling me pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm honored by that. And that, that means a lot, you know, that, that, that really is uh, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing for me to hear, to think back about watching him play drums, being a 14 year old and like losing my mind watching him <laughs> and, and Bon Jovi on stage, you know, that for him to have said something like that about me is, uh, you know, I, I feel very fortunate. I, I, He's I, like, I don't remember lucky. any of that. <laughs> He's like, Benny, you're just making shit up. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm kidding. He but totally no, I mean, it, was like that. He, 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 anyone that doesn't know Paul, Paul is the nicest guy in the world. And he absolutely did say great things to you because if he didn't, Scott wouldn't have spent the money because he's true. cheap. <laughs> Scott, Scott is far from cheap. I have worked with cheap. He I'm is kidding. not cheap. I'm kidding. Yeah. I love Scott. He knows I can say that because he's Scott's incredibly go, generous. Well, you owe, you yeah, owe yeah. me. You owe me for saying that on the radio, but I'll let it slide because it was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, to answer your, your question, Siobhan, I mean, that was really what kind of, uh, you know, him saying, let's do this. That was the mm -hmm. spark. So yeah. I, I resigned a couple months early and was like, okay, mm -hmm. I have a client now and now I have a business. And I just yeah. called everybody I knew and said, I, Hey, I have my shingles out. You need some help. Let's do this. Yeah. You know? Wow. Good for you. That's incredible. Thanks. You know, it's, it's been tough because you know, the model that I kind of talked about or that I've talked about, you know, wanting to really empower artists to fully take control of their careers is something that's taken a long time for the music industry to understand. I'm just going to be blunt about it really to understand what the business model is. And it took, I mean, I've been working with Steel Panther now for seven years and it took five and a half, six of those years before I started to have people go, okay, what are they doing? Like that's working. Why is that working? And I had lots of campaigns that I was ran it all between. The boobs? It was not the boobs. It's not the boobs, believe it or not. Boobs are really hard to wrangle. They're very hard to wrangle. Uh, Anyone in Steel Panther will tell you that. It's absolutely true. Corey and I have witnessed many a time. So difficult. It's yeah. it's very difficult. But when it happens, it is it is it is it's a very synergistic thing when they're able to do what they do. Um, it's a weird boobs. experience. It is definitely one of those things where you kind of go, I, okay, I understand why this works. I don't know if I'm 100% comfortable with what's happening right now, <laughs> but she's 100%. Is she, is she okay? Is she, <laughs> okay, let's just go with this. Like, it's a, Nobody went and watched Gigi Allen weird, to feel comfortable, Jason, and he was yeah. still punk. It's, it's a weird experience, but, but anyways, it took years for people to look at that success. And I did a lot of campaigns for artists who I love who didn't fully get it. They just thought, oh, we're gonna hire you just to make sure our, our record's in stores. And once it's in stores after a month, we're gonna be like, thanks a lot, see you later. And there's yeah. so much more that this business is about that Panther has understood from the beginning. Yeah, it's like a long game. A lot of people probably exit too early, you know? Impatient or something. They're not owning enough well, of their nobody IP. Nobody wants to pay for That's it. That's the nobody, biggest thing. The, the thing that people don't realize now, to be completely transparent, is that everything a record label used to be able to afford you, you can now just buy yourself. You can. And that what you're doing is basically what a record label in the times of olden days with other oracles um, would have done, except that you're a private guy. You're you're going into, you're, you're uh, an infantry guy uh, that's 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 called in because you're the professional I, I mean you know it's a it's more than just the record label because it's about a complete paradigm shift in the way that the industry is structured the industry structure used to be that the artist made the music they technically sold the music to the record label so they would sell their rights to the record label for an advance and potential future profit potentially and then the record label would mass produce the record and sell it to a store in bulk. So when Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy came out, it shipped gold because Best Buy ordered 500,000 copies week one. I remember mm -hmm. that. Right? That's an incredible thing. But that is a completely different paradigm from where we are now because at that point, it's Best Buy's responsibility to sell to the customer. Yeah, right? well, but that's so also a huge, yeah. that was a huge letdown for Best Buy because, because even because though it that record, it, it, it sold, but I have it on my, on my wall. It's like 2008, November something. And it said the most anticipated record of all time. Well, the most anticipated record of all time, I think sold like one and a half or two million copies. When Best Buy had 500,000 shipped to stores already, like it was going to be Pearl Jam versus. 
I, but I think that the biggest issue that the paradigm shift is there is that at that point, we were still relying on the store to sell the consumer. And when there is a step or a group of people or an entire business between the artist and the consumer, you have no control over your career. Your career yeah. is then decided by the people in that office who are going to make replicate that record and who are going to market that record. And then yes. by the people who are buying and selling that between the two businesses, as soon as you remove those people, which is the amazing thing the internet has allowed us to do, it's allowed mm -hmm. us to sell directly to the fan. Now we're in the same business that, uh, you know, that anybody else, any other major brand is, they're talking about average you know, customer value. They're talking about lifetime value. They're looking at a customer and saying, okay, this person bought one album. That's great. But if they'll buy an album, will they buy a shirt? And if they'll buy an album and a shirt, will they buy Can an I album and a shirt and a ticket? To the, to one thing to the listeners, if you're in account and financing, this is where you take notes because you go, Hey man, I'll never use this shit ever. This is literally called cogs. ROI, like yep. all those yeah. corporate speak things. So you say to yourself, like I say to myself, like I can barely even write. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I like I sign my name like this because I don't even know cursive because they don't teach it anymore. <laughs> That's but a whole Jason, other problem. But the yeah. thing <laughs> I'm telling people is that, that like, I almost want to take notes to what you're saying is because totally. you are giving the answers to our listeners and, the, and there's still going to be some guitar player going, dude, but I think I should be louder. And, that, <laughs> and he's gonna take. He's gonna look. My guy gets me off stage in at least thirty minutes. We'll be fine. Yeah, but fine. this this is, a, this is a perspective that most people don't consider. So this is huge. Well, that's why I'm saying take your valuable. fucking notes. But like, also, Jason, realize that our brains can only handle seven numbers, and you're throwing out all these <laughs> all right. terms. I'll make it real simple. I'll make it real simple. If you, the same way that you love your favorite band, and you'll buy any record that your favorite band puts out, and you'll buy a T-shirt, and you'll buy a ticket. That relationship is the, there are only two things that matter in the music industry. I say this all the time, the music you make and the relationship with your fans. That's it. Everything else is noise. You may have 15 different managers in your life. You may have 14 different booking agents. You may be on three different labels. You may never have a label. You may have different members in your band. The only thing that truly matters is the quality of the music that you make and the relationship with the fan, the buyer. And now that the internet has given us the ability to have that direct relationship, you can build a customer base. You, what's happening mm -hmm. right now, everybody being kicked out of tours and tours breaking down and all that kind of stuff happening. All the artists who have deals with traditional merch companies, who those merch companies have built their business on selling to fans at, at shows, or they have a web store just to sell off you know, excess merchandise or whatever, or they have 300 bands, they're not developing any direct to consumer plans to be able to, to sustain you at all. My artists, you know, people like you guys, I mean, obviously you're still growing. So we have a little bit less opportunity to really monetize that. But with someone like Steel Panther or Gwar or Static X, who are my other clients, we are making a buttload of money selling directly to the fan because we've mm -hmm. built that relationship. They trust the band. Well, they trust the store. Your client amazing, he, he, by he, the way. Well, hear me out. So <laughs> this you. is the thing I about 2020. It. Because Starset can't tour, Siobhan has time. And because people care about her and they're emotionally invested because Dustin is such a great direct-to-consumer marketer. Absolutely. Um, we believe by de facto ipso facto, if you will, um, that people will watch us just because they care about Starset. Not even because they care about Lost Symphony. Not Some because people they care will. about me. They yeah. might. Some will. Some will. Granted, absolutely. There will always be some people that do. But because Siobhan has time and she's not touring, we 2020'd her into doing this. And because people <laughs> care, which is that X factor, because people care about a Static X. That's the the X in Static X is the X factor that people care about them. That's why Wayne Static will be forever a legend with the hair and the Slim Jim thing. Like he's fucking awesome. I loved Wayne Slim Static. Jim. I remember the first time I saw him. In fact, I still have a Marshall VS100 amp that recorded Wisconsin Death Trip um, that I bought off of him at the Worcester Palladium in Worcester. Um, what he told me, what happens after you die? I have it on record on my cassette tape. I was actually listening to my cassettes the other day. I put in one of the cassettes and it's actually me asking Wayne Static that question. Um, that being said, um, I think- We should because, talk. We should. I should put it on, I should have it converted. But that said- I might, I might need Siobhan, that. Siobhan, Siobhan <laughs> should, uh, should sell us uh, to some people to listen because they care about what's going on with Dustin. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's part of having that relationship. That you know. Plan? Well, that's but that's relationships. Yeah. Chad Gray yep. kept this dude employed. 
Paul yep. Geary has kept him employed. So now I think she's my Chad Gray. <laughs> I, you know, Except I, I look at that. much prettier and in a bigger band. Definitely prettier. <laughs> I, lo I love you, Chad Gray, but definitely prettier than Chad Gray. Uh, I, you know, I feel like I would look at it a little bit from a different perspective. I would say that, that what I'm seeing you do is you're taking advantage of the opportunities that are presented by 2020. And you're saying, okay, I don't have the, the ability to go sell tour tickets and, and tour and do things like that, that I could. Now I'm going to do this. But mm -hmm. if you don't own your IP, if you don't own the ability to monetize every aspect of what you do, you're not mm -hmm. able to do that. So, and I'm not trying to be a, you know, to you people out here. go out in chapter, chapter one, chapter two on uh, lostsymphony.com. You can buy all the things that Jason has told us. And will sell. And the, the merch, the merch, the merch exactly. is all designed by Jason but and his team. Because if, if what happens, if Bravado is your merch company and they have Slipknot and they have, you know, Metallica and whoever mm -hmm. else, they're focusing on marketing campaigns to move those things. And if you're a smaller band, they're not doing anything to help you. You're not, mm -hmm. you haven't built a relationship through your own site to be able to sell things to them. Who does Starset have? Uh, Starset, I know, does something internally. They do have ownership of some internal Yeah, because you know what? He's probably Beautiful. like Maynard James Keenan. He's like, you know what? Instead of buying the wine, I'm just going to have my own vineyard. Yeah, no, no. He's that's like, something that Dustin own... is great at. It's not he's, he's absolutely like... great at that. They will develop even with transportation. We we own the buses, and we they, there is Starliner transportation. Dude, so when the buses guy. aren't he's being like, used, he's like very the Damon smart. John of space. Well, he was <laughs> uh, not not to blow him up, but he was in the industry prior to the band, right? He was yeah, like a so songwriter well, or something. He, well, yeah. So he was in another band prior that was called Downplay, and he did. I, I guess I can't speak too much on what what songwriting credits he had on other songs, but he, yeah, he was active. Even the Star Set was down the road. You know, he he had had other projects before. Yeah. So he did so have he, a lot of experience. Yeah. So he learned. He was a smart guy. I mean, he he is a smart guy. Sorry, not was yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, but that's the way to do it because I have friends who are in bands and who are man and managers who manage other bands that are completely their hands are tied. They can't sell yeah. anything to their fans because they don't uh, own the rights to sell anything to their fans, number one. And number right. two, they haven't developed that relationship. Well, it's and funny so, you're yeah. saying that because we're talking about space. So the Space Ace, I, I, I always talk about this. Like He was selling bootleg shirts out of his own hotel room when he was on tour with Kiss because they cut him out. And he would always con fans. One of, one of my buddy's friends was a fan of his and he like met the space ace and he was like hey yeah you want to hang out I was like you want to hang out with me and then he came back to his room and he was printing his own kiss psycho circus tour shirts and he said hey man just give me like you know 70 percent of what you make and uh that tells you all wow. about the industry in a kiss right. metaphor because we all brought it back to kiss you know what i mean like i don't <laughs> care about kiss either but Full like it is, it is all about kiss and star said is like if kiss was was actually the greatest band in the land <laughs> whoa Ooh. I know so many people angry. The entire dude, all of Detroit, which is where she's from, is gonna be so angry. What do you mean your friend was saying? Star says better than her. The, the people who brought rock and roll to Detroit, the rock city. Uh, we have we have covered a lot of topics today. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're, actually, we're we're coming up on the end here. Uh, no, but Jason, this has been enlightening to say the least wow and yeah absolutely so uh, where can where can people like check out your, your your website and uh and and your artists that you're working with and anything else sure. that's kind of coming up yeah i mean you know leckbergenterprises.com is my website i don't do a lot of marketing for myself and i kind of don't list myself many places because i'm a i am a servant of the artist uh and and i'm also me you know if you hire me you get me so i only have a certain amount of bandwidth um, and I've, I just turned down some, some work recently because I'm in a situation that, you know, I would love to make more money, but I don't have more time and I need to, uh, it's, it's to a make smart, sure it's a smart, it's, high you know, class it's a problems, difficult, Jason. but smart decision. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you know, look, I, you know, I'm working for lost symphony and I want to <laughs> give them the, uh, the maximum amount of attention that I can possibly do. And, uh, and so it's just, you know, I'm, I'm reachable. And <laughs> it is a lot of attention. That's all right. Everybody that I work with gets a lot of attention. Uh, but, you know, I'm reachable and I'm always open to talk to people. And I, and I love, you know, hearing from bands and I'm happy to help as I can. Uh, but I also, you know, I don't I don't run ads for myself. I don't push myself. Yeah. I don't make sure I'm in liner notes. What about you know? Nefarian? 
So Nefarian is my is my my passion project. Yes, I I, I play I've played music my whole life, and Nefarian's my new band. Uh, we we dropped three songs and played two shows in like the three weeks before coronavirus happened. Uh, uh, so yeah. so we uh, way we, to launch, we, Jason. What uh, happened to like that Nostradamus like trajectory that you have? Going? You know, look, I mean, it was a great launch. We basically sold out one of the smaller clubs here in uh, in New York, which that. was great. Yeah. That's so, awesome. You know, that was that was like I was happy to to launch that way. And then we played a show in in, uh, in kind of Ashbury Park area, Jersey, just a fun show with some friends. Um, but we decided to kind of go back into a hole. We're actually remixing everything. We're very, very fortunate to be working with Ulrich Wilde, who's uh, who's remixing the stuff, which is good. It it kind of you know it gave us a little a minute to reassess and make sure mm-hmm. that we were super happy. And I think that I personally wasn't as happy, uh, but we're we're there now. I'm very happy with where we are, and and it's part of the process. I to be completely honest, the issue was that I wanted to be a very different band than I think we actually are. And the first team that we were working with, who are very good friends of mine, they're incredible artists, great producer and mix engineer. Uh, I gave them some very specific direction about what I wanted. They did their best to achieve that. Uh, and when we talked to Ulrich, I gave him the same direction and he ignored it all and <laughs> mixed the song the way that he felt like it should be See, mixed. But here's and- the thing, you send <laughs> yeah. your song to Ulrich Wilde because he's Ulrich Wilde. Because he, yeah. he cause Sting calls him and goes, hey man, I got this thing and I want it to sound good. And yeah. you know, um, his his list of artists is just like, everyone ever! <laughs> crazy. So the, that's yeah. why he's good. Stream. Because every time I tell Corey to do something, he goes, sure, Ben. And then he sends it back to me and doesn't tell me he did everything completely differently. I'm like, that was <laughs> awesome. And I think in my own head that I'm a genius. And I tell Scott I'm a genius, who's again, our sponsor. And really all it is is Corey just duping me into thinking that I've done oh, everything that I want. In, and interpreting just lying. interpreting musicians is, is what mix engineers just lying and producers to do. Yeah. Lying totally. to me. Guitarists don't mean what they say. Well, no, because I remember, and I'll tell this one story. I remember walking into the studio, and we were in Longview Farm Studios in front of a Neve console, and my um, my producer, Scott Riebling, who uh, used to play in Letters to Cleo, he was in Weezer for a bit, he's produced everyone from Fallout Boy, he's a fucking amazing producer. He said, hey man, so what, what do you ideally want your guitars to sound like? And I put on Cowboys from Hell. <laughs> and he was just like... But why? And we're sitting in front of a Bogner Ecstasy, a VHT. So like in girl terms, like we got a Chanel over here. We got yeah. a Louis Vuitton. And then I'm just like, yeah, give me the Nine West. It's fine. You know what I mean? Like, And and I told him that's what I wanted. And he literally was like, why do you hate tone? And then he just didn't listen to me at all. And he put me through a matchless and said, be a man, make it work. And it sounds great now. Yes. Yeah. So nefarious. I'm going to be much happier because it's being mixed the way it should have been mixed, even though it's not what I wanted, but I just have to accept the fact that I am who I am and my band are who we are. Uh, but but what, did, what are we here? Cause you sent us a, a link and I want to tell you that first off, I liked it a lot better because for me, I'm a melodic person and there for me immediately, I listened to this song three times. It was the only one you sent me. So unfortunately with, your other band, I got to listen through like 10 songs, but like I moved on to this song and I liked this song so much. I listened to it again multiple times in a row because there's Thank some you. amazing singing on it. There's some cool, like where there's ultra heaviness. There's like some keyboards that float over the mix, kind of like a static X or a typo negative where like it's like yeah. there's all this evil shit happening, but then all of a sudden, and yeah. I listened to it and it made me think. And I want to tell you, like, hats off, man, because wherever you were with the band eight years ago when I saw those first videos to what you sent me earlier is amazing. And I take my hat and I can't wait to hear what Ulrich Wilde does because that guy's a yeah. fucking genius. Yeah. Well, the mix I sent you, the one you're talking about is Ulrich. Well, that's, that makes that's sense because I loved it. I wanted to tell you how great it was. You're going to be like, I actually mix that and that's what we're redoing. Yeah. And I sound like an asshole. No, that's actually Ulrich. So yeah, well, he, very well, soon. He's great. We'll be re-releasing those three songs with three more, and if Sweet. this coronavirus ever goes away, we'll play some shows again. Wow, so, awesome. yeah, that'd be nice. Well, hopefully we yeah. can uh, catch you at a gig some point. Yes. Well, yeah. stay tuned to Jason's new band and Leckberg Enterprises, yeah. and like, thank you so much for being yeah. here and being yes. again. Thank you, a amazing. Free 
information booth for all of us troglodytes and plebeians and moronic <laughs> guitar players that don't take their shit off the stage and take way too long. Thank Get you for letting us know yeah. that um, there are people out there that actually do know how to navigate the matrix. I appreciate it. I'm learning every day and I'll learn from you and, and together we'll all be better on the other side of Lost Symphony chapter two oh, yeah. and maybe another one. I don't know if we're supposed to talk about it yet. You guys should get the fuck off this podcast <laughs> and go to lostsymphony.com because you've been 2020 and Jason, he endorses it. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you soon. Woo. See you. radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.